Recording in progress. Tov, everyone. Very good Arab Shabbat. Beautiful rainy day today in Jerusalem. In this week's Parsha, the Torah tells us that at Yamsuf, Vayaminu Bashem Uv Moshe Avdo. That the Jewish people as a whole reached the level of emunah. Emunah is faith, trust. So uh, we saw all of the miracles that uh, the Jewish people experienced in Mitzrayim, the Eser Makot. Ten plagues, and now Kriyat Yamsuf. So that built up uh, Emunah, faith. So there are two types of faith, so to speak. There is a faith that is built upon experience. I'm going to do this and this thing, or I have this and this reaction to such a situation, because I've been there before, and I know what works. That's why we all take the fourth vaccine, right? We have faith. I think... uh, if you're around to take the fourth vaccine, so then that prove that the first three must have worked. So there's a faith based upon, it's called a, a faith of experience. It happened to us. And somehow we overcame it. So therefore we have faith that if, God forbid, such situations recur, we will somehow overcome them as well. But there's a second level of faith, which is even deeper, that we are faced with an experience that we never had before. And we never overcame it. We don't have that in our arsenal. And yet we have faith that somehow we will not only survive, but we will triumph. Things will work out for us. So that's a different emunah. 
That's a different level of emunah. Now, in all of our prayers and in all of our mitzvot, uh, we're dealing with the first type of emunah. Emet v'emunah. That's always experience. We're always relating back to our historical experience. And so to speak, just as we were able to overcome Egypt and Paro, so we will overcome all of our enemies as well. Ultimately, even if, God forbid, it be a great cost. But then there's an emunah to something that we have not seen. Uh, that's, for instance, the emunah in the achrit ayamim. It's the emunah in a better world. We've never seen a better world. We've never seen human nature change. We have never seen uh, uh, the uh, what the prophet calls "Lo Yisagoyal Goy Cherer Velo Yumbedu Ol Milchama." We have no experience as to the absence of conflict, and yet we have faith. Whether we call it the Messianic era whatever uh, phrase we want to use, we have faith that such a time will come, even though we have no experience upon which to base this. Then there is a third and weaker type of emunah completely. And that emunah is based upon what uh, a positive trait, uh, self-confidence. I believe in myself. I believe I can be successful. I believe that, uh, you know, I know what I'm doing. And uh, that type of faith uh, can uh, often degenerate into conceit, into narcissism, and into uh, a person uh, falling into the trap of aniva afsiod, it's all me, which is part of the problem that we have today in society is that we have such great faith in ourselves that we are blind to what we are doing. So when the Torah says, Vayaminu Bashem Uvamoshe Avdo at Yamsuf, it's talking about all three types of faith. They believed in God because God performed miracles for them. They believed in Moshe because Moshe, you know, had the staff. Moshe was able to uh, perform the miracles. 
They also believed, and here is less of them believed, as uh, I hope to point out in a minute, uh, that Moshe would take them into the promised land. That he had the ability to do it. So they had faith in Moshe, in his ability. And then finally, they had faith in themselves. Now what happens here? So here we have to segue into uh, discussing uh, two figures that are not mentioned by name, but play a role in the Parsha. We met them already in the first Parsha of Shemot, and they exist throughout the period in the desert. Datan v'aviram, b'nei Eliav. Now they are always complainers. They are always anti-Moshe. They are uh, the instigators at Korach. They will be destroyed the earth will follow them up. But they're the ones that uh, informed on Moshe. Uh, in this week's Parsha, when the moon falls on Shabbos, and Moshe says, don't go out, they went out. Moshe says, don't leave over, and they left over, and the worms got to it. They are the negative aspect that always exists within every society. There are people who uh, sole mission in life is to complain, to say it's no good. Many times they are motivated by what they think to be positive ideas. But in the end, they are a very destructive force. So the Mephoshim raised the problem. So then why did they survive in the the, uh, plague of darkness? The Medrash teaches us that uh, many Rishoyim evil people amongst the Jewish society passed away. So why didn't they pass away? Why are they saved? And then we had that uh, a large number of Jews never left Egypt. They preferred to stay there. You couldn't give up what they had. So why did they go out? Why why are they, uh, so to speak, pioneers when uh, they are against everything? And they're certainly against Moshe.
some the some uh, sofer and others discuss this. They point out to a medrash that uh, Datan Vaviram, uh, amongst the Jewish people themselves, there were layers, there were classes of people. That's true in all persecuted people. The nation may be persecuted, but amongst those who are persecuted, there are those who are at a higher level uh, than uh, those that are uh, at the bottom of the rung. Even in the concentration camps that existed. So Datan Aviram, they are from the tribe of Ruvain. The tribe of Ruvain is a dissatisfied tribe. Ruvain was supposed to be the Bechor. He was supposed to be the premier tribe. Ruvain Bechoriato, Reishis Kochi, Reishis Oni. And it was taken away from Ruvain. Given to Yosef and later to Yehuda. So the tribe of Ruvain is a dissatisfied tribe. Anyone who feels that they have been dispossessed of something that they were entitled to. Always has that feeling. That's human nature. It's very hard to overcome that. So we say, yo, I didn't lose the election, it was stolen. Or I didn't lose my business, it was, you know, unfair competition. Or the system is rigged against me. Or it's because of my uh, appearance or my education, whatever. There's always a reason. And therefore, that creates uh, an automatic frustration and dissatisfaction. So, Dosan Vaviram come from the tribe of Ruve. We will see later. The tribe of Ruvain will say, we don't want to go to Eretz Israel. We're going to go to Averayarde. Because we don't want, it's a very deep psychological thing here. But it's something that exists. We don't want the shame that uh, Yerushalayim should be uh, in Shevet Yehuda and Shevet Binyamin. And we don't have it. We're the first. So it's better for us that we will stay east of the Jordan. Better for us. We find that uh, uh, the famous Haftorah regarding Yiftach So he's, uh, he ends up being the judge, the leader of the Jewish people. He makes war on Melech Canaan and he wins. 
But the story is, he uh, he said uh, he was dispossessed. His brothers, uh, he, they, they, his mother was from a, he was from a different mother, and they threw him out. And therefore, he's not interested in cooperating with them at all. He doesn't want to have any connection with them. He says it about them snaysemosi. You hated me, so now you want me to save you. I'm not interested. And so, throughout the Tanakh, you have this undercurrent that this this satisfaction arose because they felt that they were treated unfairly. So here comes Moshe, and he's from the tribe of Levi, who is the third brother, not the first. And they say to him, Be who made you? We're from Ruvain. You're from Levi, so who made you that, uh, why does it belong to you? And that's what their complaint will be later with Korach against Aaron. Again, Korach is, there are three sons to Levi. Gershon, Kohos, and Rory. And Kohos says, also, sons. So we're entitled first. Well, you know, you're you're the youngest son. You're not entitled. How come it's you? So there's a level here of dissatisfaction, which causes their faith in Moshe to be of an inferior kind. They believe that Moshe can do miracles, and they believe that he could take them out of Egypt. They believe all of that, but they don't believe he's entitled to do that. They don't believe that somebody else could have done it too. If you would give me my chance, Dosan Vaviram said, we would have done it. And you usurped it. Also, it's a very, uh, really a deep analysis of the Chsam Sefer. But it explains uh, what goes on throughout the desert. Moshe says, don't leave over. We're going to leave over. Who's going to Why do I have to listen to Moshe? And we'll see it even in Moshe's family when Aaron and Miriam speak against Moshe. So they say, Harak Moshe Dibar Hashem. Moshe exclusive. Hello, Gamanu. We only spoke to us too. Doesn't belong to Moshe. Because again, Aaron is older. Miriam is older. 
And then uh, before she pointed out, they went through the agony of Egypt and Moshe did not. Moshe shows up in the end. What happened to him in those 60 years, etc., that's a different uh, topic. But uh, he comes at the end, he performs the miracles, and he's, where, what, why? How about us? Because the Torah is as Sefer told us, Odom. The Torah talks about human beings. That's how human beings think. That's how they behave. And it takes a, a great deal of uh, steel and character to overcome these uh, thoughts and ideas and behavior. Not not easy to do. The Rabboni Shalom has to guarantee Moshe Vegam Rachov Samach Belibo. Aaron is going to be all right with it. And yet the Gemara says, Ilu Yoda Aaron, if Aaron would have only known what the Torah would have written about him, he would have brought out a band, a parade to welcome Moshe. But he didn't. Another point here. Dosim Vaviram, what did they do in Egypt? Who were they? So there were uh, Jews that were uh, the Jews that were in charge of the Jews. And we read about it in, again in Parsha Shmos, the Shotre B'nai Yisrael. Paro had Jews that enforced his rules on the Jews. So Adosan, the Medrash says that Adosan Vaviram were two of those Jews. They had standing. They were exempt from labor. According to the Medrash, they had property. So the Mishforshim point out that that's why they always said, let's go back to Egypt. I was better off in Egypt. The Jewish people may be better off getting out of Egypt, but we, uh, I was much better off. The Jewish people may be better off having a state in the land of Israel. But I'm better off being, uh, you know, in uh, wherever I am. It's better for me. And uh, the, the Medrash says that at Yamsuf there were... Was there were Jews that said, "Let's go back to Egypt." They saw Pharaoh's army, and we're not going to fight it. Better off. Kitov lanu, 
Avodas paro b'mitzrayim. It's better for us to be slaves in Egypt than we should die here in the desert. In our time, in the 1950s, there was a slogan: "Better red than dead." Okay, where the communists are going to win, Stalin is going to prevail. So let's give in and become red, because otherwise he'll blow us all up with atomic bombs. There is such a uh, psychology amongst people. So Dosan Vaviram, they had it better in Egypt than they're going to have it in the desert. In the desert, they uh, will have lost their status. And that will especially happen when Moshe chooses the tribe of Levi, that becomes Levim, he chooses Aaron, his family, to become the Kohanim, and they have elections for the Nisim, who are the heads of each tribe, Dosim Vaviram are never appointed the heads of the tribe of Ruve. In Egypt, they were, uh, you know, uh, Lieutenant Dosim. Here, it's just plain Mr. Dosim. So they resent that. They find it hard to deal with that. So if there are such bad people, what's their saving grace? After all, there was a saving grace. They went out from Egypt. They hang around. The Lord doesn't destroy them after the moon, after everything that they say and do. They're still around. So we cannot judge uh, how heaven uh, judges people. What are all of the nuances that are involved that's far beyond uh, our ken of understanding? There's one thing again, and it's also in the Samsofa. It said in the previous parishes that when they, uh, Paro said, no more straw for the manufacture of the bricks, but that the quota of bricks had to be fulfilled. And if we're not fulfilled, they would take Jewish infants and use them as the bricks. So it says that the Shotrim, this class of people, the official Jews, so to speak, the Jews who were in charge of the Jews, did not enforce that rule. They refused to be that cruel. So it says, Vayuku. So they were taken and flogged for not enforcing the rule. So Dos and Vaviram were whipped because they did not enforce the rule of Paro against the Jews. So the Mephoshim say that was their saving grace. They're willing to absorb blows rather than commit such an atrocity against their own people.
And therefore they're preserved. Because they have this saving grace. To save uh, the Jewish children. Not to enforce Pharaoh's rule. Even though it was at great cost to themselves. As uh, the story of the Jewish people in the uh, Soviet Union becomes more and more transparent and we have better awareness of what really was going on, sift through all the propaganda that we were subject to. So there were uh, a great many Jews that were commissars that worked for the Russian government. Uh, There was a special section of the uh, Communist Party apparatus called the Yevsexia, dealing only with the Jews. They're the ones that destroyed the Jewish religion, persecuted the rabbis, did everything. Yet, even in that, there were moments when the hardened Jewish communist did an act to save a Jew. So I, I uh, you know, I, I knew uh, had the honor of knowing and studying with a great uh, rov from Toronto, Greenwald was his name, who was a Holocaust survivor, but he was in the Russian Gulag, and. Uh, we became very close he used to come for the winters he was ill he he had a bad heart condition so we spent the winters in Miami Beach and uh, we used to uh, learn together every morning and it was uh, it was a great experience for me and uh, he he told me the following story. I once asked him, how did he get out? How did he survive? So he said that uh, he was in the camps, in the the Russian camps, and in the Russian camps uh, there were Jewish guards. And one of the guards once said to him, you know, I know you're a rabbi. He said, you know, he always tried to eat kosher, never ate their meat. Uh, and he tried, tried to keep it to, to whatever mitzvahs he could. Unbelievable circumstances. He said, I know uh, you didn't do anything to me. You know, you're not an enemy of the people. So why don't you write a letter? At that time, there was a Jewish... Uh, member of the Politburo, Lazar Kaganovich was his name. 
write a letter to him and tell him, you know, I'm in, I'm innocent and you know, get me, I can do anything. Get me out of here. So he said he was wary of doing that because of the fact that if you wrote a letter to somebody and without permission, the, they tacked on another 25 years. But he said, I was weak and I felt I wasn't going to make it anyway, so I, so I wrote that letter. I knew Russian and I wrote the letter to, to Gaganovich and I gave it to this guard who promised that somehow the letter would get to Kaganovich. He said uh, a month, uh, six weeks later, he said uh, they were uh, lined up, and the uh, head of the camp from the NKVD said, uh, we have here a letter from uh, Kaganovich, that prisoner number eight 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 seven soon one uh, they didn't have names there were only numbers but that was Greenwald's number uh, should step forward so he thought he's going to get shot for writing the letter stepped forward he said we have orders from uh, Kaganovich to release you to send you to Romania where you came from. But the warden said to him, I will not release you until you tell me how did you get to Kaganovich. So Greenwald said uh, he doesn't know how he got to Kaganovich. He said he never met Kaganovich in his life. He doesn't know. He said, <laughs> and the uh, this went on for a few hours, and then the captain saw that he wasn't going to tell him anything. So they took him and they put him on a train. And when the train crossed the Romanian border, they threw him off the train. He had both arms broken. And that's how he survived. So uh, Kaganovich was one of the few members of that entire group that died in bed in his 90s. Never got shot. Beria, all the other ones got shot. So he told me, Rabbi Greenwald, he said, that's why he didn't get shot. He said he was a Russia, he was a murderer, he was everything that you say. He'll burn in hell. But in heaven, they reckon with a good deed that anyone does. So he said to me, that's how Dustin Vaviram survived. Because they took the clip. They took the blows. They didn't... They didn't do what Paro said. So even though in the Tanakh they're the worst, but heaven spared them so that they would see the miracles and be part of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. There's a significant lesson in that. But the main lesson is that heaven judges differently than we do. 
and therefore we should be more reticent in our judgment of people because there are a lot of nuances there are a lot of things that we're not aware of but that are essential and that belongs into the category of Vayaminu Ba'ashem Moshe Avdo I want to wish you all a good Shabbat stay dry and stay healthy This, this uh, lecture was, sheer rather, was dedicated by John and Phyllis Graham in memory of Batya Bat Avram Leib, and it should be a schus for the Nishoma. Kol Tuv Selom. Okay.